Hey guys, if you would have loved to have watched the Ironman World Champs but didn't want to sit through all nine hours of it or your time zone made it impossible and you didn't want to watch it from 10pm until 7am like we had to here in Australia and therefore you've only caught little clips or seen pictures on Instagram, then don't stress, I've solved the problem for you. I've started a YouTube page called How They Train and tonight I'll be uploading a video on there which will have a 30-minute version of the men's and women's races with me commentating them. I'm hoping it'll make you feel like you watched it live, but without having to have stayed up all night or spent half your day on the couch to do so. So keep an eye out for that. Jump across over onto the YouTube page and subscribe, and I'll make sure I post on the How They Train Instagram about when the video goes live. Anyway, I've been up for 48 hours straight watching the race, then recording the podcast, and and then making those videos. So I'm off to get some sleep. Enjoy this episode. Welcome back to a special Ironman World Champs recap edition of How They Train. I'm joined by former runner-up at the Ironman World Champs, Luke McKenzie, and former Ironman champion, Beth McKenzie, who were both there watching live to recap everything that unfolded with me. Let's start with the men's race that ultimately was won by Christian Blumenfeld in a time of 7 hours, 49 minutes. The podium was rounded out with Lionel Sanders and Braden Curry, who were involved in an epic sprint finish for second and third, five minutes back from Christian, with Lionel just catching Braden with a couple of hundred metres left after Braden had spent so much time in the lead for the race. Where I want to start, though, is pre-race, and, more specifically, the late omissions of clear pre-race favourite Gustav Eden and Alistair Brownlee, who joined an already extensive list of notable omissions. Guys, what was the feel like at the event when news of the late outs hit? Yeah, it was quite, um, you know, word got around quite quickly. You know, the, the text messages started flying around. Did you hear that? Gustav's out did you hear that Ali's out and um yeah obviously that just opens it up for uh a lot more guys in the race uh that you know obviously considered them uh, a threat in the race and they were rightly so uh you know favorites for the event and um you know when those guys uh pulled out for their um you know unknown reasons really I'd I think it was um, due to having some sort of cold or something, both of them. But um, yeah, it's um, it's unfortunate for them. But obviously, uh, it was a opportunity for a lot of other guys to really step up. Let me ask you this: When you guys were watching that race, and, and now that you've seen it play out, how it played out, do you think it would have been different if those two guys specifically were there? Uh, yeah, I do think it would have played out a little bit differently, just as far as, you know, Alistair always really loves to push the swim and Gustav would have just been probably, you know, him and Christian would have, you know, could have been neck and neck. So I think things could have been different, but the reality is it's the world championships. You want to see all the best people line up, but part of lining up at a world championship is getting there healthy. So, um, that's just how it unfolded and the best people made it to the start line in the best possible condition. Yeah, what I'll just jump in as well. Well, what I thought might have been interesting is they might have just added some firepower to each of the groups, which I don't know if it would have ended up any different anyway, but I, I would assume that Ali would have swam with that lead group of five, which would have made it six. And you'd have to think that Gustav would have been in that chase group with Cam Worth, Lionel uh, and um, Christian. So that would have bolstered that chase group. So um maybe his horsepower you know we, we saw him really ride 
well on this course in, in September last year. Maybe might have been able to bring that gap in a little earlier on the bike, um, but or, or, or limit it by the time they got to T2. They actually didn't catch them. But um, yeah, I was, I was really surprised that that, that group of Worth, Lionel, uh, Se- uh, who else was in there? Sebi for a while, um, didn't catch the front guys. I, I really thought that was the, the, the horsepower group and that those guys that stayed away did an, an amazing job at, at riding this really tough, hilly course. Yeah, I agree, Luke. What surprised me most the whole day in the men's race was that chase group of like Worth, Long, Sanders, Chevalier, etc. didn't find the front of the race. Cam Worth went to the the front of that second group almost instantly and and it sort of got strung out with, with Sam Long, the only guy who could really go with him in the end. And, and 40K into the ride, those two found themselves by themselves working through, you know, um, and, and, and ultimately catching Christian. But from there, the gap sort of held it between four and five minutes for 140k, and and, and never got got back, you know, anywhere anywhere close to, to Cam finding the front of the race, which really shocked me because um, I'd been talking to to you know some people who were close to Cam leading to the race who who were saying he hadn't been doing much running and he's swimming, he'd been doing a bit, but but probably not quite enough. But he was fit on the bike, as fit as he's ever been on the bike. But that's clearly not the best performance on a bike that Cam has put in over like the course of 180k uh, in an Ironman race. Definitely not at the World Champs. So that that really surprised me that that those front five were were able to hold the gap. And I was actually going to ask you guys when you were there live, did it look like there were a heap of motorbikes and and TV cameras in that front group? And is that the reason, or were they just not strong enough to to catch those five? No, I think when we did hear Brayden say afterwards that the, um, and some of the other guys is that they were all just like the guys in the front five group were all really motivated. They said to have a really fair, but strong race. So they were, he said they were always on the gas where a lot of times I think the people in the front group, they let off the gas a little bit. There's a, you know, some gaming tactics going on and these guys just all sort of just kept the pedal to the metal and kept going. Whereas, um, you know, obviously Cam Worf's group was doing the same, but yeah, both Luke and I expected Cam to absolutely terrorize the bike course. And we were super surprised when that didn't, you know, come to fruition. Yeah. I think some takeaways from Cam would be probably, he had a really awesome swim. I was really surprised where he came out in the swim and I thought, Oh, game over. He's going to go to the front of the race really early here. And Cam's going to have a massive lead. It's going to be his day. But I think maybe that swim might, you know, with the lack of swimming, I'm guessing with all the cycling he's been doing, it might've gassed him a bit. And then that group seemed to sort of let Cam dictate the pace and put him on the front the whole way. You know, I I rarely saw Cam not on the front of those, those guys. And when you're talking about Lionel Sanders, Sebi, uh, Sam Long, they're all really good riders and, and, you know, full credit to Cam. He rode really, really well, but you know, off the back of doing Paris-Roubaix, traveling, you know, not, I'm guessing not really tra- training anywhere near the sort of hours that these guys are swimming and running. He was, he was actually, he actually did quite well. Um, but yeah, he, de- he definitely was hyped up to, to come in here and absolutely smash this bike course. It's, it's sort of a little disappointing because I think if Cam and Sam Long had have made it to the front of the race, things would have been pretty fun to watch. But yeah, full credit goes to those five out in front. Um, 
I think a lot of people will be surprised by those five guys being at the front. Um, but but you know, like people like me and you who live in Australia, what, we're not we're obviously not surprised seeing Kyle Smith riding at the front of a, a bike race. And 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 you know, you guys live in in Noosa where Braden Curry does a lot of his swimming, and and I know how how strong his swimming is compared to what it was at the start of his career. So when I saw him move to the front of the swim early and and hold that for about five hundred meters, I wasn't surprised at all. But I know that a lot of like Americans and Europeans watching the race would have been like, who are these guys? And, and that whole front group of five, I think with all respect to them, I think they're on the, on the world stage, almost maybe with Braden Curry, the exception, almost a, a group of, you know, no names, like who are these guys at the front of the race? You know, this isn't Sam Long and Lionel Sanders. And, and so it was really um, exciting and interesting to see those five at the front and, uh, and you know, almost cheer for them. Like I, I would have loved to have seen one of those five five win the race for for the way that they did race. Yeah, exactly. And I think you know, obviously, it did show in the end. Braden was really the only one of those five to really hold in there. Um, the guys from behind, uh, you know, Christian, Lionel, uh, all really pushed up in the run. So it, what it does tell you is those guys were being opportunistic. You know, they they came out of the swim, they took it on. They were they were probably riding above their ability but they're, they're leading the world championships. And, you know, I, I know personally I've been in that position and you've got to take, take the chance. So, um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't have raced it any, any differently if I was those guys, you know, one day it will, it will stick. And you look at a guy like Kyle Smith, he's so young and so talented and that's his first world championships and he's leading it, you know, um, that's got to be a big confidence boost for him and, and all those other guys that were in that group. And, you know, um, probably been a little bit biased but you know we're really great mates and friends of, of Braden, and you know I was just so uh, impressed with the way that he handled being right up there in the swim in in the lead and and leading the bike for a lot of it and and still holding on there almost for that second place and uh, just getting pipped so I think that was one of the the highlights of the day for me. Kyle Smith, uh, it's funny, I was watching the race and, and I, I love Kyle Smith. I'm a huge Kyle Smith fan. I think he's going to go on to do even even bigger things and and um, and be a really prominent factor at the front of world championship events. But um, he reminds me of you, Luke, and I was thinking that when I was when I was watching today. He he races like you. He sort of has a very, very similar um, way that he rides and, and he's aggressive and he, he doesn't really care. He just he just wants to be at the front of bike races. Uh, so yeah, he's gonna be he's gonna be great to to watch going forward. And I'm glad he's got his name out there and and now more people will sort of want to watch him and know who he is when he's racing. Um, probably the other thing that you, you said there is I like going into this race, I, I did my um, my preview show with Craig Alexander and I had Braden Curry as the big dark horse. I, I thought he was going to put on a show. Um, I was certain of that. And then when I heard that Alistair and Gustav were out, I actually had him to win it after that. I, I knew he'd be at the front of the race. I, I thought Christian was going to be was going to be sick. Um, and, and I thought the hills might hurt him a little more than they did on the ride. So I wasn't shocked to see Braden at the front. What I was shocked by was that he was running fucking well he was running fast he ran 116 for the first half marathon and christian still yeah. put minutes into him like that that blew my mind what i saw unfold on that run yeah i mean we we were out on the course uh we were getting around on on some bikes around the on the run course and some of those hills they were going up there was a hill there that was very if you've been to cone it was very similar to polani hill and it, it came at about the same stage as what you would do it in Kona. But the difference here was 
you had to run up it and down it four times. So it really, um, you know, especially being at about 5K to go in that last, you know, really crucial part of the race, it was absolutely brutal. I don't can't recall any other Ironman that has a finish like that. And it was quite hot. I mean, it must have been over 30 degrees by it the end. It was so hot. So I think, you know, for just looking back at the split and Christian running a 238 on that course was absolutely mind-blowing. Um, that that is very very fast on on the day like today, and um, you know if that's a sign of things to come, I I just hate to know how this sport is gonna you know progress from here. Yeah, that that was the performance that impressed me most throughout the day was was Christian's run. It's very like obvious, but I don't think you can undersell how impressive that run was. Two thirty eight eight on that course is five minutes faster than I thought he would run it. Um, I thought maybe if anyone was going to break 240 there, it would be Gustav. But yeah, I didn't expect Christian to do that. It, it actually, I'm still shocked at what I saw. And I think something to talk about further to what I was saying before was, I, I think that it almost came across like Braden was was going backwards, you know, like the guys were coming, um, almost like he was falling back into the field. But that wasn't what happened. He ran fast and he was pretty consistent. He didn't drop off much at all. Um those guys just like Christian and Lionel just had ridiculous runs that, yeah, that I'm I'm shocked by. Like I can't believe I can't believe they caught him. I thought I thought four k into the run I I just had said oh this is done. Like I know how Braden runs. I know how tough he is. Um, I know that he can run this pace for for the full marathon. But yeah, I, I, I I'm a bit lost for words. Yeah, no, he said it in the post race interview with Mike Riley. He took it out in 116, knowing that he had that lead, like a significant lead on Christian, which put the pressure on him to have to run fast, faster than probably Christian had wanted wanted to run. So if you're running 116, Christian's obviously having to run, you know, under 115, 114 to even be making some inroads into your lead. So he put a lot of pressure on him in that first half marathon hoping that it might crack him and it was a really good tactic because what it did do it did crack a lot lot of other guys but um you know it did set set him up to really um you know consolidate that podium spot like like he was significantly uh ahead of the rest of the field from that fourth fifth place onwards and but um you know i was i was absolutely astounded i thought Braden had second place absolutely sewn up and beth might take it over from here but we're at the top of the of, of the climb where where Braden crested in second and we thought it was done deal so yeah so we were we we're at the top of the climb Braden was in second um and this is a climb that's about it's at 23 miles so that means there's like exactly 5k to go really and I like, there's a, there's a timing mat at the bottom of this climb and Lionel came over the timing mat two and a half minutes after Brayden and Brayden gets to the top. And I said to him, I said, Lionel's two and a half minutes behind you. You've got this. You just have to run really strong down this hill. Cause the whole rest of the thing is downhill to the finish. And knowing Brayden's background as an ex-terror racer and everything, like I'm sure he's not afraid to fly downhill but I still have no idea how Lionel Sanders closed two and a half minutes yeah. in those last 5k. Like it, that for me was the most like impressive. Thing I mean, we saw. yeah, I know we're, we're going into this, but like the biggest surprise of the day for sure. Like we could not believe when we we're, so then we rushed down, like we were on our e-bikes and we rushed down, um, to the, the finish line tent and we're watching on the screen. And all of a sudden we see 
Lionel overtaking Brayden and it was literally unbelievable. And it was so cool. Full credit to Lionel. Like he just, you know, they always say he want, who wants it more like Lionel is just that the grittiest person yeah. in the world. It's pretty amazing. Probably gutsiest performance of the day, really. Yeah, when you, when sure. you think about it, like he could have just dialed it in for third, but he literally raced right up into the line and he got him in the last couple of hundred meters and, uh, you know, heartache for Braden, but full credit to Lionel for, never giving up and that that's the sort of guy that he is we've seen it time after time and I think that's why he's just he's such a popular athlete should, the crowd was going absolutely bananas for Lionel and um, yeah we were like the only two people being like go Brayden everyone else was going go Lionel but like as his friend and we also sponsor Brayden it was a big a big thing for us for him even to be on the podium so it was it was it was also we were also super proud of Brayden and still so excited he was on the podium but yeah unbelievable finishing pass for Lionel. Yeah. When I was listening to the commentary, you know, in that, in that final section, they were, they were talking like, yep, Braden was second, Lionel was third, but I felt like watching it, you could see that, that it was going to be very close. I actually, I turned to the guy I was watching it with and said, Oh, Lionel's going to get him here when they got to the top of that hill. Um, I, I don't know why I just sort of had a feeling it was going to happen. And, and so I think more people were in your camp where you just sort of, you know, Oh yeah, Braden's got this. It might be close, but He's got this, and and then when you when it like inevitably uh, you you sort of felt that the pass was going to happen, and they crossed the line. I sort of felt emotional watching it. You could see, you could see the boys were going through completely different emotional emotions, but they were both just, you know, it was so raw. Like you could tell how almost like. I felt like it was just di- like disappointment of how close I was, you know, was the emotion I was getting from Braden. And, and I felt like it looked like he was, you know, completely gutted. That's, that's what it looked like to me, even though he's put in arguably the best performance of his career, in my opinion. Um, and it, I don't know, it just, there was something about those two and, and the emotions they were showing at the finish line that really got to me. Yeah, it was, it was really emotional to see Braden and Sally there and Lionel with his crew and every, you know, I think Braden was still really, really overjoyed. A podium at the world championships is a podium at the world championships, but the, to lose it in the end is really hard. But the whole thing I think was really emotional for everybody, but there were just all these mixed emotions, like surprise, pride, disappointment, like all rolled into one. So I think, you know, but Lionel must've just been ecstatic that he could pull that off. It was seriously ridiculous. Actually, Jack, you probably appreciate this. I think actually the performance of the day was Braden sculling the beer on the podium. He was the only guy to do that. And to scull a beer after the effort that he put in, I thought that was probably play of the day. Well, uh, it's funny you say that because when I was watching that, I was thinking like Braden is sort of like a typical Australian, New Zealand guys guy, I feel. And then he's he's on the podium with two of the, the biggest triathlon nerds in the world in Christian Blumenfeld and, and Lionel Sanders. So, yeah, I thought that as well. It's sort of like the cool guy at the pub and uh, – and the two blokes who who aren't really there that often, but but you know they found themselves at the pub and they don't really know what to do. He might have been third on the podium, but you have to admit he was first in the best kit situation because 
Blumenfeld's kit. Let's, you know, it's <laughs> fast, I guess, whatever. And then Lionel had his whole, looked I like love he, Lionel, but he looked like he was what running the Badwater ultra marathon in that whole thing. <laughs> so, so Braden, Braden kept together there for us. So cheers to that. Beth, this is funny because you, you've always told me that one of your favorite episodes of, of this podcast is my episode with Julian Spence. And, and one of the first thing, things he talks about is how ridiculous Christian, Christian Blumenfeld's performance at the Olympics was, but but that he ruined it by wearing that shit suit. And then he, he's come to his next big event that he's won and he's he's done it again. I yeah. know. Well, I'm just disappointed that we're going to have all these like really slow age groupers now running around in kits that look like Christians because they think that they're going to make them faster, but they're they're just not. I don't understand. You should... <laughs> It cannot save that much time that it's worth looking like you're sort of like naked and and like I I look at Christian and like a diaper patch, but I mean he's so fast I can't I can't argue with it. He's so winning I, races. Yeah, yeah I'm I'm very know. impressed by Christian Blumenfeld, so I guess I can't really comment on his attire. Yeah, me too. He's the best, but my eyes always do seem to, for whatever reason, go directly to Christian's package lately when he races because of the suits he wears. So. Anyway, might say more about me than him. Um, moving on. Uh, and speaking of Lionel in his Badwater Ultramarathon kit, as you mentioned, Beth, just something I wanted to touch on quickly was that I'm not surprised that, that Lionel finished second. What I am surprised by is how he finished second because when Cam Worth and Sam Long went early on the bike to try and catch the, the front, Lionel was rid them. He, he was rid them when they went. Um, and I've never seen a race where Lionel wouldn't go with that until today. It's almost like having that cool-headed stick to your numbers approach of the Norwegian Norwegians in his life in the form of his coach Mikael Lead and and I'm sure he has like a bit of correspondence with Gustav and and Christian to a degree um finally got through to Lionel um and I was convinced pre-race that once he got involved in the fight he he wouldn't be able to go like let Cameron Worth and and Sam Long go and would end up um probably breaking in the marathon as, as a result of having to go with them on the bike but he didn't, and and when he when he just waited and didn't go with them, I was um yeah I was shocked. I was surprised. Um, and, and then post race, he he said in his interview that it was the craziest race he's ever done because it was like a, a long individual time trial, and he he just stuck to his game, which is something he he's really never been able to do in the past. So um, that, that paid off in spades for Lionel, and and it was almost the thing that impressed me the most in the day if it wasn't for the way Christian ran ran and and the way the boys up front rode it probably would have been but it was definitely what surprised me the most um so so speaking of that was there was there anything else that surprised or or really impressed you guys from the men's race or, or just the day in general today oh I mean I think we've already covered it for me start to finish the most impressive performance was also unexpected so this is performance and surprise for me is from Brayden, like he really surprised a lot of people just sticking his neck out there the whole time, racing aggressively, staying strong and finishing on the podium. So for, for me that it was Brayden. Yeah. But for me, I think I, I really, and it'll probably, you know, change the, the course of this conversation now, but for me, it was Daniela. She was written off by absolutely everyone in town here all week. And for her to just absolutely dominate this race today in her, you know, typical Daniela fashion with a big smile on her face, you know, she did that quite easy today and she was having fun out there and uh, for her to be back, I think, you know, that was probably the most impressive domination that we saw all day today. Yeah. The, the women's race was crazy. And, and like you said, 
your answer will will change the direction of it. Let's move on to the women's race, which I was more surprised about what I saw in the women's race than what I was in the men's race. But then in in the same sentence, I wasn't surprised at all. So it was quite quite a quite a weird one for me. Um, Daniela obviously winning uh, in eight hours and thirty four minutes, and and then the podium was rounded out by Cat Matthews, who who finished almost nine minutes back, and and Annie Haug, who who finished a, a further twelve minutes back from from Danny. Um, I don't think there's anywhere to start when we talk about the women's race, other than just going straight to Daniela Reef's performance. Is there? She 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 proved a lot of people wrong today. Um, getting back to to the form that that I think makes her arguably the the greatest triathlete of all time. Definitely the most dominant female triathlete of all time. Yeah. I mean, we've seen other years where Daniela had a slow start and I had heard that in Oceanside, she had Oceanside 70.3, which was a few weeks ago. And she flew over really late. She was a bit sick, like things just weren't going her way. And I think people have continued to write her off. Um, I will say Jack, that that I, I did a different podcast preview show and I picked this exact women's podium one, two, three. So it didn't surprise me that Daniela returned to greatness. You knew she was just waiting for that, that right moment. And she needs a long race to really show off everything she can do. So yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. The one takeaway from the women's race for me was it was a very individual race, very early, obviously with the smaller field uh, and the really strong bike riders um, it really strung out quite quite quickly so it definitely played into the hands of, of the ladies like Daniela, Kat Matthews but um, you know surprising to me I mean not really surprising but you know Annie Haug actually did a really good job of limiting the damage because I thought that the way that it was going when we first saw them go out of town at about 100 kilometers um, and with still about 80 kilometers to ride I really thought that Danny might have even had even more time which is sort of unimaginable but um, you know, I think true credit to a lot of the ladies today because they had, they had no one around them. We ran out probably how far 10 K out of town. We ran really far out of town so that we could see, like we did a 30 K run. So we wanted to be able to see people where nobody else was. And it was an individual time trial today. There were a few small groups of like three people working together, but other than that, and those kept changing throughout the day. So yeah, it was really cool to see that type of ride i don't want to be uh, like a negative nancy and put a downer on the conversation but it's a question i have to ask because i was thinking it when i was watching it 22 women in the field and 10th place finishes 40 minutes back of the win is that a bit of an indictment on on the rest of the field or does it just speak to how how good the the performance was by daniela and and, and the few up front or you know, why is it that, that the women's race was so much more open than the men's? Is it is it just the, the limited numbers made it more individual so it's strung out and, and maybe when you're not fighting for the win, it's harder to dig in and, and the time gaps open up? Or, or, or how do you guys see that? I think it's always a tough one. Like, yeah, there were only 22 women that started this race, which was a bit disappointing. You'd like to see at least 35 or 40 on the start line vying for it. But at the same time, 22 women professionals finished that race. And that speaks to the women entirely. Um, 27 men finished, but I, I'm not sure how many started. I think it was like 36 or seven or whatever. But um, I don't know. As far as the differential to the front, yeah, Daniela's just sometimes in a, in a different class. But when you have only 22 women, 
yeah, you are, you are going to have bigger time differentials. I haven't yet looked at the difference between like first and 10th men's place, but I'm pretty sure it was quite large as well. Yeah, no, I mean, the other thing that I, I mean, I guess the, in the men's race, yeah, obviously they had a bigger swim group. They all, a, a huge chunk of the men's pack started together. Whereas the, the women's groups split up quite quickly, obviously because there was less people to swim with. So, you know, I, it was obviously going to split up quicker in the women's race. And this course is, it was unrelenting. Like we, we must've climbed several really long um, grinding hills just on our run. And I hate to think that that was just, that was just the beginning beginning. like it just was kept going and going and there was actually full-blown climbs to come after that so um you know obviously the women are in a bit more of a individual um headspace as well whereas the men can sight and see the other guys up ahead they've got someone to chase but but what we saw was there was you know women staggered every about one to two minutes so you know the that next girl might be over the next crest or around the corner and they had no one to gauge off, especially on the first big loop. So to keep your head in the game in that, in that sort of situation, you must feel like the only person out there in the middle of the desert. So, um, you know, I think, I, I think full credit to the, the 22 that, that finished it because, you know, we, we were out there and we saw a good friend of ours, Lindsay Corbin come past and she must've been at hundred K 20 plus minutes behind Daniela. And I thought, well, there goes Corbo. She'll be, she'll be out. I mean, she's not going to finish at this point. She said, she said she's a bit and sick. She, yeah. She turned to us and she's like, you guys, I'm sick. Like, I think she like was vomiting and she, and finished. she still finished. She finished yeah. the whole race. And you know, that's, that speaks volume, you know, um, just finishing what you started and um, you know, full credit. I think um, you sort of spoke on Annie Hug's performance just before, Luke. Uh, it was probably what surprised me most for, of the day. Like, I, I was, I was tossing up in my mind. Did did was I impressed or was I disappointed by Annie Hug? And and it was somewhere in the middle. I think um, her bike impressed me in that I thought she was. Once I realised that that group had got together of of Danny and and Sky Mention um, and Cat Matthews, I, I thought I thought oh she's going to get. 30 minutes put into her here but she really did gut it out and 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 rode incredibly strong the back end of that ride compared to what I thought she would um to limit the damages but I still thought coming off that run that that she was going to put time into into Danielle and Kat I I I thought I I was watching it and I thought oh yeah so Danielle is going to win by five minutes and and Annie will, will sort of run seven eight minutes into her and she'll catch Kat Matthews but but in the end, she she only put three minutes uh, into Daniela over that run, and and didn't cat, catch Cat. Still finished four minutes behind Cat. So that surprised me the most. I thought I thought Annie would would run five minutes faster than what she did, despite having the fastest female run split of the day. Yeah, I mean, I think we saw a few weeks ago at Ironman Lanzarote seventy point three, like Cat absolutely smashed Annie um, on the bike, and she put a lot of time into her on the bike. This time, um, and then Annie just couldn't catch up. And I was pretty certain that was going to happen again. But then this time, um, Kat was riding strong, but she wasn't like her normal self. And I saw Mark, her husband, and he said, oh, she actually woke up quite sick this morning. And he said, she's not herself. She's usually smiling. She's usually doing this and that. And then 
when she came through on the bot on the run the first time, she did not look great at all. And I think a lot of us were convinced that Annie was going to do her thing and then catch Kat. But somehow in the second half of the run, Kat really came good. And she just really, she looked a million times better. She was smiling. Like she just must have, maybe she took a gel with caffeine in it or something. I don't know, but she really held on to it. And it's not to discount Annie because Annie had an amazing run. She ran like 256, which on this course on today, like it was, it was so ridiculously hot. Like you cannot, you can't fathom it. So it was an amazing run. And then um, something I want to talk about because it was something I talked about in the preview show was, was Lisa Norton. Um, the way that, that things sort of were panning out early was exactly how I thought they, they were going to with, with Hayley Churro going to the front and the swim and, and Lisa being pretty close by and, and catching, you know, putting two minutes into, into Hayley within the first sort of 20K of the ride. And when Lisa moved to the front, I thought, yeah, this is, this is exactly what I thought would happen. No one will catch Lisa in, until, you know, 20K into the run. But when I saw that Daniela and that group were, were putting serious time into Lisa, I was, I was shocked really because I have, I have Lisa Norden pinned as the strongest time trialist in, in female triathlon. But, you know, in the end, um, Daniela put 12 minutes into her on the bike. And, and when, they went, when they went past her, I could sort of, I think, I'm not sure what you guys thought, but I felt like you could tell Lisa was going to get spat out the back of that group, um, which, yeah, still... I'm I'm not sure what happened there. That that really surprised me. Yeah, I mean, you say obviously um, Lisa is one of the best female time trialers in the in the women's field, but um, I don't know. I mean, has Daniela lined up at a time trial? I, she probably hasn't, and I think if she did, you'd find <laughs> she'd go pretty bloody well. Um, I think she could be right up there with the very best of the time trialers in the sport of cycling. Um, she just hasn't done it, so. That's what you're talking about here. And then, you know, Lisa, for me, obviously didn't have the bike ride that we thought she was all going to have, but she also didn't totally implode on the run. Like she had a sort of smart race. She didn't overbike like a lot of people did do, um, which I was going to say potentially Annie Haug might have done. She might have ridden um, just that 5 10% harder than she really needed to to try and limit that Daniela damage. And it might have washed off that five or ten percent on her arm. So, you know, swings and roundabouts. I think you know you give some, you lose some, and um, that's what happened in the women's race. Some people sort of played to their strengths, and others sort of, you know, their strengths weren't there on the day, but their weaknesses weren't as bad as usual. Yeah, exactly. Exactly where my head went to as well. Where I think sometimes it's a little different when you when you're watching as a, as a spectator versus when you're the, the athlete in the race, like I just expected Lisa to kill her own race to get to the front, which is quite stupid because why would she do that? She's never going to win. Uh, but I still thought she would just ride, you know, as hard as she could get to the front, implode, you know, really, really big in the, in the last 20K of the, of the run, potentially even walk. But you could tell ex- exactly like you said that she just raced smart and, and I think probably raced to numbers and, and that sort of thing. And, and ended up running really strong, probably well, without question, the strongest Ironman marathon that I've ever seen her her run. Um, so yeah, it's just it's just not what I expected her to do, but ultimately probably got her finishing higher than what she would have if she had have rode a bit harder. And at the end of the day, she's a professional athlete. I mean, to go out there and take some glory and be on the front on the bike and then uh, totally implode on the run. I mean, 
admirable, of course, but I mean, doesn't put uh, food on the table, does it? And uh, to race uh, with a, you know, it just shows maturity to that, you know, she obviously knew that she was a strong cyclist, but she needed to reserve for this run because it was a very tough run. And yeah. I had talked to Lisa's partner a bunch in the days leading up to it. And I just said, Oh, I just want her to go out and smash it because you know, she can like on the bike, like just absolutely smash the bike course. And he said, no, 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 that's not the plan. Don't tell her that. Stop telling her that. (laughs) And then like, she was joking about it. And then we spent a good amount of time with Calais, her partner today. And he was, yeah, the whole time he was just super proud of her and like saying that she was doing everything according to plan, which was great. Yeah, spoiled the fun for the rest of us, though. It would have been good to watch her. I know. I was like, just terrorize it. Yeah. Um, and I think you're 100% right. Daniela, oh, I would love to see her transition to, to World Tour cycling for a little bit. She would be one of the best in the world. No questions asked. Why would you do that? Why would you do that when you're winning Ironman World Championships, Jack? Because, Beth, I'll tell you why. And, and it happens a lot to me. <laughs> As triathletes, you guys know this better than everyone. Runners think that they're much better runners than triathletes are and cyclists think they're much better cyclists than triathletes are. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Go ahead, Danny. Not for Go the money, but win just win the World for, Time Yeah. yeah. How, how good would that be? Because she could do it. She would – I like, I would put a lot of money on her – if she did go, okay, to this year I'm going to go and try and win the UCI World Championships in the time trial. I think she'd win it. She's so good. Hey, yeah, maybe then, in saying that, I mean, she is really built for long course racing. Like uh, she might well win the UCI, but maybe it might be a bit short for her. But I would really love to see her do it. I think she's like just such a talent on the bike and, and she, she probably would do it. And she, she ran sub three on that course on that day without really being pressured, which is pretty, pretty incredible. Yeah. Like just don't doubt Daniela. I, I, I did doubt Daniela and it's because of what I'd been hearing more than what I'd seen. Like she's had a really tough last 18 months. She obviously, obviously split from longtime coach Brett Sutton. I'd heard that she'd been having some personal issues. I'd heard that she'd, she'd had a few really, really quite bad injuries. I just thought that, that potentially she didn't want to be the best in the world in, in the same way that she did sort of four or five years ago. And uh, and so clearly she, she proved me wrong. And, and I think a lot of people sort of felt the way I did. Um, I knew that her best was, was good enough to, to win it by quite a long way. I just, I just didn't know if she was, she was that Danny anymore, but she is. I think it's all that talk that got her fired up to tell you the truth. You know, when you've won so many Ironman titles and you, you know, you people literally expect you to win every race. Yeah. She, lined up today because and smashed it in the, the fashion that she did because everyone was doubting her even to her face at the press conference people were were talking about it and it was I was just like oh my god you're poking the bear right now she's going to come out and smash this race and she did that Here, here's a big question I have if if all if Laura Phillip was there does Daniela still win yes yeah I think so yeah that's yeah I mean that, I mean I think Danny went. But Laura probably comes second, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Hard to say. She wasn't pushed, and it's all, you know, you you could probably, you know, run a a thousand different plays, but the people that showed up showed up, and and what Danny did was very impressive. And I think she raced to what she needed to race as well. I, I really didn't feel like she was straining whatsoever. 
uh, compared to a lot of the other competitors. So that sort of tells me that she still even had a little bit more up her sleeve and to go 8.30, 8.35, whatever she, it was mm. incredible time on this course. To be honest, I thought if it was going to be a hot, windy day, I thought that that would have been a good male time. Yeah. So really did put down a really impressive race. I sort of almost arrogantly thought that I knew exactly what was going to happen in this race leading in. I thought that Gustav Eden was going to win by five to eight minutes. And I thought that Laura Phillip was going to win by five to eight minutes. And I was positive of that. Um, on ref- like reflecting on that, I still believe Gustav would have won that race quite, quite comfortably, but I don't think Laura Phillip would have been in the same postcode of da- as Daniela. I think Daniela still would have won by, by the same amount. So yeah. Yeah, there's there's a lesson there, and it's it's never to doubt a, a champion, and it's it's never to doubt you know someone who's done what what Daniela's done, and it makes me think of some other people, like it makes me think of of Jan Fredino for Kona, and and the the fact that people if if Gustav wants to go go there and, and race because he didn't get the chance to to in St George, you know people will be doubting whether Jan can win, and and you know maybe 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 we shouldn't do that, and and you know people like Alistair Brownlee. Those guys are, yeah. are who who they are for a reason, and 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 yeah, there's a lesson. There's a lesson there. Yeah, Crowy called it. I was watching the swim with Crowy this morning, and the women had only literally just started, and the 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 conversation came up between Crowy, um, myself, and a few others. Dave Scott was there, and um, both of them agreed that you do not discount Daniela. They both they were both backing her from the beginning. And as was I, and it, it goes to show, you know, like it has some clout and, um, you know, Daniela obviously did have a rough patch and, you know, and maybe that is exactly what she needed. She needed to be told that she wasn't the best anymore. And, and, you know, we see it in every other sport, you know, you cannot discount a champion. So full credit to her. Do you think there was uh, anything else from the day that we've missed or, or need to go over or, or need to talk about? Yeah. I mean, Sam Long didn't have the race I expected him to. I really thought he might have been up there a little bit more, but he's still young. And, you know, I feel like that's always the the common sort of excuse, but um, he really is still young in this sport and he just, he just didn't fire today. It would have been good to see him up there and and sort of contending. He's only a year younger than Christian though, isn't he? Uh, I don't know. I mean, he seems quite new blood to the sport. How old's Christian? Christian's only 27. How crazy is that? And that's wow. the thing. I mean, this is the back 15, 10, 15 years ago, no one under 30 was winning these things. Yeah. And now now you're talking about 25, 27-year-olds winning. So Yeah. I I was surprised by like the top top American Chris Leiferman. He ran his way into fourth place, which was pretty great. And then the top American woman was also Sky Munch, who's also from Utah, which is cool, which is where we are. So yeah. I liked seeing those Americans. They didn't quite crack the podium, but they did good showing. Very patriotic of you, Beth. But oh. I know I'm so patriotic. <laughs> gotta, gotta throw something to them. I wasn't surprised by Sky at all. Like I think she's a star. So Sky could be the most underrated triathlete in the world. I think definitely most underrated long course triathlete in the world. She's she's been good for ages now and doesn't get the credit she deserves. So it was good to see her her put on that performance on the on the world stage and. Yeah, there's, I was thinking about this actually today is that you know how when you go to a triathlon transition area and you, you look around and everyone looks in shape and you're like, oh, I'm so fat compared to these people and you start thinking about how you look and and then you race and you realize that how someone looks does not dictate how they how they race at all. And 
And there's some examples today of that being very true. And, and then there's some other ones like I looked at Chris before he, before he started that race and I thought, oh, Chris looks fit. Like he just, to my eye, he looks, he looks so lean and, and strong and, and I think he's going to have a good race here and he did. So, yeah, I don't know if there's, if there's anything to take from that, but I found that interesting. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, probably the only other one for me was I, I really want to, we're good friends with Heather Jackson and, um, she obviously didn't fire today. I, I honestly thought she was a good chance at a, you know, a top five and even an outside chance at a podium. And she had a, in her, probably, and she would probably even tell you this, she had a shocker today and that was, you know, unfortunate. Um, she's very popular, popular here in America. So, um, you know, I know she'll, <clears throat> we've already sp- spoken to Heather and Waddy and they're, they're going to refocus for Kona, but you know, I think, you know, Heather's got a lot more potential than what she showed today. I think these races where it's sort of like long individual time trials don't suit Heather, do they? I think she always finds herself at the back of those kind of races. She needs a different dynamic to to, to be at the front of the race. And, and I think Kona definitely suits her more. I can see her bouncing back really strong in Kona at the end of the year. She just had a dead set shocking swim. She was three or four minutes off the main group with Daniela, um, you know, all the contenders, all the girls that were up there, Kat, um, Annie, and you could just see from the beginning that, you know, she was dejected. She was, you could just tell in her mannerisms that she was, you know, not fighting for it. And, you know, that's unfortunate. I mean, only she would know why, but, um, you know, she's got, you know, six odd months now to turn that around and she's always done quite well in Kona. And I think, you know, just looking at people like, um, you know, Heather and Ben Hoffman and, and athletes like that, that typically do do well in Kona. I think a little piece of uh, Sebi's another one that I thought, you know, I really, I had him on my podium. I, I love Sebi and I thought this really would suit him, but you know, I, I know a lot of their soul is in Kona and I guess they just didn't rise to the occasion of the opportunity of a new chance here at a different course and you know whether that's an excuse or not i just felt that that was potentially something that you know i saw in those few guys that didn't really hit the mark that do in kona sebi looked really flat crossing the line i felt i thought i thought he looked completely dejected i was a bit i was a bit sad watching him cross the line because yeah it would have been awesome to see him have have a have a big race but wasn't quite there all day um probably the only other performance we haven't touched on in the women's race that just quickly I, I think is is quite inspiring is is Ruth Astle so yeah the last the last Ironman world championships that were ran she she won the age group race and and she's just finished fifth in the in the pro race very similar to the Lucy Charles story obviously she raced a little bit differently but geez it shows you that you can go from Ironman uh, age grouper to to successful professionally quite quickly if you're if you're committed to it yeah, it's crazy. She was part of the Zwift Academy Tri team back then. And she's obviously done some really great things in the past couple of years. I know she recently won an Ironman. Which one? Uh, uh, we're normally good with this, but I don't know which one. She just won an Ironman. <laughs> she's been ones. really great. But other people, honestly, to me, were saying, oh, Ruth Assel, she's one to watch. She's going to do really well. And I didn't pay attention and I was wrong. So she, Ruth did awesome. We cheered for her all day and she had a smile on her face all day, which was cool to see as well. Yeah. I was the same as you because Crowey brought her up in the, in the preview race. And I thought, oh, you know, she might just finish inside the top 10, but, but I didn't see her, uh, 
you know, finishing inside the top five. That really surprised me. Um, so yeah, um, the, she she uh, she won Ironman South Africa, didn't she? By the way, I think I think that's what it was. I might be wrong on that, but that's what I thought it was. I don't think so. It was yeah. European, I yeah. think. Maybe Mallorca? Did she win Mallorca? Yeah. yeah. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Anyway, I think we've covered pretty much every everything. Um, probably the the last thing to to touch on is is looking forward um, after today's race. Who do you guys pick as as your early favourites for Kona in the men and, men and women's race? Mm. <laughs> is Jan showing up? Because I still pick Jan. Like we today, we learned not to bet against the champion with Daniela, and I've, I'll still bet on Jan, but I think Gustav would give him a good run for his money and Christian as well. But who knows, like, will the Norwegian Federation actually let them continue to race Ironmans when there's an Olympics in less than two years? Yeah. Let's just assume everyone's, everyone's on the start line. That's funner, isn't it? But that's the thing, isn't it? Like we've seen, and you'll see in October, half these guys won't line up because of, of something. And it's, it's, you know, it's unfortunate, but it's just what happens. So, yeah, I agree with Beth. I think Jan, he wants to go out with an absolute bang. If this, if this is not his last year, I'll be gobsmacked. But um, I know how hungry he would be for this. Um, but in saying that, I mean, from what I'm seeing from Christian, and I'm guessing Gustav would have been in very similar, if not better, form, um, you know, maybe there's a changing of, a guard, of the guard here. Um yeah, it's it's another level. And then with the women, like as we've just seen, you can't bet against Daniela, but you hope to see a healthy Lucy Charles on the start line. Yes. Um, but her, I mean, her injury is a serious one. I didn't run for seven months last year because of the same injury she has. So we'll see how quickly it heals. It's one that you hope heals quick heals more quickly than it does. Geez, you you wish Lucy Charles was on that on that start line today that that's the one thing that could have made this race very fun because what she did yeah. on on a very similar course at Ironman 70.3 world champs was was very similar to what Daniela did today on the over the full distance so that yeah god they, they, there is some storylines leading into Kona that if everyone shows up it's it's as strong as yeah. as Ironman triathlon has ever been I think I think so too. I knew you, we didn't mention Laura, Laura Phillip, obviously she'll be back as well, hopefully in full fitness, you know, going out with COVID here wasn't ideal and very bad timing, but um, you know, with those three on the line, fingers crossed come October, I think that the women's race is probably going to be one for the ages, to be honest. Yeah. Female triathlon, female Ironman triathlon at the top end is it's, it's, it's caught up to where the guys are just about, I think. it's. I think five years ago I look at it and I thought the men are a little bit third, like a little bit ahead of where the women are, but that top end of women, they've they've caught up. And, yeah, I, I agree. I think the, the women's race in Kona is exciting. I think the, the men's race is exciting. And I, and I think I think the beauty of having the two world championships in the, in the year is the extra hype and the storylines that have come out of it, like – but we were excited to see Gustav and Christian and Alistair race and, and Jan wasn't going to be there. So we were going to see who, who's going to take over. And, and then it turns out, you know, a lot of them don't show up and Lucy Charles doesn't show up and Laura Phillip doesn't show up. So there's still so many what ifs. And, uh, and as a fan of the sport, that's really exciting because there's still, there's still so many questions to be asked and, and answers to be given. So yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for the year ahead. I just hope like, the one thing that I, that I hope, because Craig Alexander talked about it on our preview show, is 
are the athletes sort of doing too much? Is there too many big events? There's PTO events where you go to, to, to make some money that, that everyone wants to be a part of because PTO points get you, get you money and, and, and their big sort of championship races in, in quotation marks get you money and people still want to win the, the Ironman 70.3 World Champs and, and, and they still want to win the Ironman World Champs and, and then there's some big challenge races. It's just, is there just a few too many big races and, and we're finding ourselves in a, in, a, in a spot where when the, the big dance does come around that there's inevitably going to be people who, who can't get to the start line and will never truly get the strongest world championship field again if it keeps going this way. That's, that's the only, only sort of question there. Yeah, exactly. But I think the athletes are, are blessed with a lot of opportunity right now. Um, you know, with the, you look back 10, 15 years, like you just didn't have this amount of racing at your, at your disposal. And, and it was all just about Kona, which was great because everyone showed up there injury free, but you know, with, with the, with the sport growing and, and to where it is now and, you know, coming up with, several new opportunities each year for the athletes to to race you know it's obviously going to be you gotta you gotta pick your battles and so uh, it's going to spread the, the fields a little bit thinner and it's going to obviously push the athletes to the limits and maybe over the limits so that's where you know good coaching good um good recovery good planning is all going to come into into play to to maximize your you know your end result Awesome. I think that's a good a good spot to to sort of wrap things up. Uh, I will say that on a personal note, being being big fans of you guys, I agree. I was, I think my my big thing throughout the day was cheering for Braden Curry. For, as much for you guys knowing we were going to chat, I was just thinking, God, if Braden wins this and and we chat afterwards, how how drunk and how happy are you guys going to be? So it's I'm a little. I have to- yeah, I have to apologise for my hoarse voice because I was screaming for the best part of two and a half hours there today and especially at the finish when he was was battling it out with Lionel um every single person in that finish shoot was yelling for Lionel and then there's this one Aussie idiot in the crowd just over the top of them yelling for for Braden um yeah no I I probably won't be able to talk tomorrow either way still good to see a win republic suit on the podium of a world champs how crazy is that Thanks, mate. Yeah, and uh, the lucky race belt struck struck again with the winner too. So. Yeah, I noticed that. I've been noticing that. It's uh, it's is there a story there? How did Christian Blumenfeld end up wearing not not? We're win- literally just we are the only people in all these expos that sell a, a good race belt, and so they all come and get them. I kid you not. So last September, yeah, Gustav Eden and Christian, Christian. Yeah, it was last September. They were rushing they around. I, I, at the dying seconds before they needed to put their transition bag in last year at the world 70.3 came and asked me if they could buy a number belt each. Cause they didn't have one. Cause they didn't, they weren't used to having one. And of course I was like, I'm not going to make you two pay for a number belt. And, um, they've both gone on to win a world title. So I think we get, we, Beth and I decided we're, we're going to rename, rename it, it the, lucky, <laughs> the lucky number belt. Yeah. Right. I love that. Burke's one, Port, Port, yeah. Port, yeah. Port Burke's just one well, Port Macquarie so in our number, number belt, belt too. I'm serious. We're the only people that sell it <laughs> or it's lucky. Yeah. I wonder how many minutes that, that win Republic number belt saves people. Good investment. So many. So, many so arrow, bro. How much how much do they cost? Ten bucks. Ten dollars. Yeah, right. Ten bucks and, and you start winning races. So- They're going up to twenty now though, I've decided. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, if you're going to spend ten grand on a TT bike with race wheels, but can't spend ten bucks on a on a race belt that's going to help you win races, yeah, you're kidding yourself. Yeah. Anyway, thanks guys. Awesome to have you on. I appreciate you making time for it. You guys would have had one of the biggest weeks of your life, I reckon, over there going from Ironman Australia, flying over to the World Champs, and and then you know doing the expo all week, watching and having one of your athletes on the podium and. And yeah, lucky enough to be joined by you afterwards. So yeah, really appreciate both of you. Huge fans, as you know, and and um, can't thank you enough for coming on and, and recapping the, the World Champs with me. Thanks, Jack. Anytime. Thanks, Jack. We're fans of the sport and uh, anyone that is also a fan of the sport, we're happy to have time with. So thanks, mate. We appreciate it. All right. Don't drink too much. See you guys. <laughs> See you, Jack. Do we sound drunk? No, no. Luke's voice sounds a bit hoarse. <laughs> Yeah, we we I'm may get, have had a few glasses of wine. But I'm actually not, getting not a little too bit too many drunk yet. Right now. Hey, do me a favor. Can you guys send me a drunk selfie late, later later on in the night for me to put on Instagram yeah. uh, to promote that we're doing this show? We actually, I'm sad that you're not on camera right now because we have the most beautiful backdrop you've ever seen. It's actually, actually, go check canyon. your go check my Instagram story because I just put it up there. It's okay. pretty cool. I'll share that. All right. <laughs> <laughs> see, right. see you guys. Have a good night. Bye. Bye. Bye.